This comes near the end of the story of Nehemiah. Um, and it's part of the celebrations that were organised. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled as one man in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak until noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and the women and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood on a high wooden platform built for the occasion. Beside him, on his right, stood Matithia, Shema, Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and Maseah. And on his left were Pediah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashem, Habadadanan, Zechariah, and Meshalam. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them, and as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen! Amen! Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. The Levites, Jeshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shebethai, Hodiah, Masai, Kelta, Azira, Jozabad, Hanan, and Paliah instructed the people in the law while the people were standing there. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so the people could understand what was being read. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still. For this is a sacred day. Do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food, and to celebrate with great joy, because now they understood the words that had been made known to them. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you for your presence amongst us. Thank you that you are here. Thank you that your word is living and active. That you have power to change us. And so we welcome you and open up your word to us as we look at it. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
I don't know if um, any of you are fans of um, or, or watch the TV home restoration programs. I, they're kind of quite nice winter viewing, I think, when there's not much else on the TV. Um, and they provide a little bit of information and also human drama. I quite enjoy that. But if you know the ones I mean, there's Grand Designs, that's been going on for years and years. Um, the Restoration Man, the George Lucas. Uh, George Lucas? It is George. George Clark, sorry. And... Um, the ba if, you, if you don't know those programs, the basic premise is always the same. The same thing basically happens all the time. Uh, the presenter, say George Clark, he goes to um, a dilapidated house or, or one that needs renovation. And he will usually meet a couple, it's nearly always a couple, one of whom is very enthusiastic and very visionary. And the other one who is slightly more reserved and... Um, backward in coming forwards and he will they will explain you know this is the vision for the house this is what we're going to do to it and George Clark will say mm, that's a good idea but I would do it like this okay that's setting up the program and then uh, he will go away and then at various intervals he will come back and various things will have happened I mean, the more disasters that happen, the better the programme is. They've, they've run out of money and they're living in a caravan, or it's rained and snowed consistently all the way through autumn, summer, winter and spring. The children are climbing up the walls after living in a caravan for six months. Um, they haven't been able to get planning permission, etc., etc. And the, the, the person usually in the partnership who is enthusiastic and visionary usually still is quite enthusiastic and visionary but in a slightly manic way and a slightly driven way and the person in the partnership who was or marriage who was slightly more reserved is getting more and more irritable and so you kind of see these relationship tensions as well and then the last part of the program is of course the pam camera sweeps up the drive beautiful house all glass and all these state-of-the-art things and is This couple sitting in, in an immaculate surroundings, not a speck of dust in sight, and uh, they explain for the houses. Um, except sometimes there was one program I watched where the couple were there, and they was almost like they were sitting as far apart from each other as they could possibly sit. And obviously, the building program had not done a great deal for their marriage, and uh, I couldn't say they couldn't stand the sight of each other, but it wasn't a great thing. And so they had this beautiful property to live in, and yet the thing that was most important, their own relationship, had been kind of blown apart. And so we come to this part of the story in Nehemiah, where the building work has been done. If we go back a bit farther to Zerubbabel and Ezra, the temple had been rebuilt, and worship had been restarted. If we come to the time of Nehemiah, Nehemiah had garnered people to work with him and in 52 days they had rebuilt two and a half miles of wall around about that time surrounding the city. Um, a labour force that just comprises priests and farmers and families working non-stop, swords by their side. So they'd rebuilt 
all that they'd needed to rebuild, but the thing that had been re-rebuilt was their relationship with God, which had been estranged uh, this 70 years where they'd been in exile. And so that's the point of the story that we come to. And if we kind of put ourselves in their shoes, there must have been something that was quite satisfying in seeing the wall completed. And yet they must have been also... They weren't skilled people. It would have been physically exhausting for them to do it. It would have been mentally exhausting thinking how they were going to do it, facing the opposition of people, thinking, um, facing um, slanders and fears and not knowing what was going to happen each day, probably working day and night to make sure that the, the walls got rebuilt. And so they come to this place where they are quite vulnerable and I think desperate for truth of all the lies that have been spoken over them desperate to hear something which is solid and true I think it's no accident today that we've had the Bible Society Andrew from the Bible Society talking to us because it's this point of the story where they, they ask Ezra who's the priest, the teacher it, actually the literal thing is they command him Come and read the word to us. Come and read the law to us. And the law was the first, what we call the first five books of our Bible, the Pentateuch. So it wasn't just the laws and regulations, it was the story. It was the history. And it's though the people on the first day of the seventh month, the Feast of Tabernacles, they're saying, come and establish truth in us again. Come and tell us who we are Um, come and tell us where we've come from and I think that's something that the word of God is to us in a world of shifting values times where we're sometimes we're very busy um, sometimes just in the humdrum nature of life there's something in us as Christians that has a hunger that God can only put for truth to establish foundations again to produce life in us again it doesn't happen all the time but there are seasons where it may be individually or as a congregation we are just hungry for truth and my experience of that is when those times happen respond to God somebody once said if the Bible is hard work for you, you're finding it hard, just keep reading it until you hear your own voice in it. In other words, keep reading it until your soul ignites with something in God's word and it establishes truth there. Keep reading it until God produces life in you again and you can say, yes God, that's, that's me, that's us. And so that's what the, the Israelite, that's what the Jewish people do this time. Ezra comes up and stands up. I was preaching at St. Mark's and it was much easier because I was standing in the pulpit. But he stands on a platform above the people and he starts reading the law to them from early in the morning until midday. And it's, it says that the priests were, it's, it's as though in this congregation there were various people just scattered through the congregation. <coughs> and as he's reading these things to him, the priests are just whispering, translation, instruction, have a pastoral voice to kind of interpret the difficulties. And 
And an interesting thing happens as he reads the word. I don't know how, what the interval of time is, but it says that the people started to weep and mourn. And again, it's a bit hard to put ourselves into their shoes because I think we're from such an individualised culture that we think of them hearing the word being preached to them and it's an individual response. But I don't think it is. I think it's so much more than that. When you imagine them in that... Yes, we put ourselves in their shoes. They're hearing the story about how... of, of Abraham and Moses how they'd come out of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, the giving of the the law at Sinai, and how um, probably a million people had been brought into the Promised Land. And here they are, just a remnant of a few people. In this place of vulnerability, this place of... Yeah, the, the temple probably didn't look anything like as good as it did under Solomon. The walls built by this combination of people probably looked a bit shabby compared to the walls as they had been. And they must have thought, what's become of us? And so I think it was very much a collective response of, this has been what's happened to us because we've rejected God and his laws. This 70 years of separation. And so they're they're weeping and mourning over what they've lost what's been lost to them. We in this church have been having quite um, a same kind of discussion, I think, about vulnerability in the last couple of months. And that's very much part of what's on my heart, that we, we're just real about who we are, real about what's going in our lives, whether that's all kinds of things. And the issue we've been talking about is the, the the honesty about mental health issues, but it, it could involve so many other different things. But there's something so important about owning our own vulnerability. This is where I'm at, and this is who I am, and being real to one another so that we can share one another's lives. God will have to bring us into a place of brokenness so that we know that he is all that we have that our own resources are not enough, our own strength is not enough. And that that is actually a very healthy place to be in. To know that only God is enough. And so the Jewish people are in that place of of vulnerability. Corporate grief. And then... Nehemiah and Ezra say something quite unusual. <laughs> I can imagine some preachers at this point we're going, great, I've got people just where I want them. You know, they're nicely broken, very humble. I'll kind of turn the screw a bit. But he doesn't say that. He says, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. This is not a day of mourning, but a day of celebration. And it's easy sometimes for us to live out of our lack rather than than our abundance. We can focus so much on what we don't have rather than what we do have. And at this point, Nehemiah just says, this is not a day for mourning. This is not a day of grieving. He says, in the midst of your 
mourning and grieving, the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. We've often used that over the years, haven't we, in in a kind of charismatic worship. In the midst of it, the joy of the Lord is your strength. That's not how it was used in this context. It was at the point where they were mourning and grieving, the instruction came, the joy of the Lord is your strength. God wants to resource you with his joy. God wants to gift you in the midst of your brokenness with his joy. There's an exchange that he wants to do. <coughs> your mourning for his celebration. He will turn your mourning into dancing. There's a, a song that I think we've sung it once. We've sung it once here. Um, it's a bit hard to sing, but the lyrics are from the art of celebration. This is the art of celebration, knowing we're free from condemnation. Praise the one, oh praise the one, who made an end to all my sin. This is the art of celebration. In the midst of your imperfection and regret, you can know peace. And what was true for Nehemiah just on that one day of the Feast of Tabernacles is so much true for us who live this side of the cross. Paul says in in Romans 8, that famous verse, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. gospel of grace has set us free from all the regrets and imperfections so that we can celebrate in the midst of our brokenness. The grace of God and the power of the cross can truly turn our mourning into dancing. so we come back to George Clark and the Restoration Man. This is a bit corny, but Jesus is the Restoration Man. God loves to rebuild lives. God loves to rebuild what has been broken. God loves to rebuild and restore what has been lost, even the lies that have been spoken. There's a a wonderful promise in Joel 2.20 where God speaks, he will restore the years that the locust has eaten. Not just the moments, not just the seasons, but years that God wants to restore. He will restore relationships and callings that have been lost. You remember the story of Peter going back after the resurrection to fishing. And encountering Jesus on the, fi- on, on the beach. And Jesus cooking for him and three times asking him, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Of Jesus restoring Peter's relationship to him and his calling. So what is he restoring in us as individuals? If God is a God who loves to restore, what is it he's building in us? 
there's probably, if there's 70 people here, there's probably 70 different answers of what God is at work in us. But he is, because that is his heart. It might be hope, it might be faith, it might be broken relationships that he's restoring. And also, what is God restoring in us collectively as a church? as a community of faith, as, as a body of Christ, what is he doing amongst us? Because he is rebuilding things. I'm just going to invite the, the band to come up just as I finish. And I want to leave that, that question in a way open. What is God restoring? That the Holy Spirit would speak into those things. First time I read this passage, the thing that struck me first of all was that we had Ezra teaching, we had um, the priests pastoring of giving, uh, interpreting what the word was. Um, We had Nehemiah as a leader who was explaining what should be happening in this specific situation. This is not a day of mourning. In the background, we had Malachi prophesying. We can't, didn't read that. And it just spoke to me that we need one another's gifts. We can't do what God wants to just do in practical terms of all the building projects, but especially building his kingdom unless we step into the gifts that God has for us. Personal gifts that maybe are there and you've never had the courage perhaps to step into. But God wants to release again. And for us to make space for one another and honour one another with the gifts that we see in one another. So, Father, we just ask as, as we are here, your people, the body of Christ, that you would open up our eyes to see what process you are at in restoring things in us, both individually and corporately.